0: So a young man goes to a candy store and says to the fellow behind the counter, I need to buy three boxes of candy. I need a ten dollar box. I need a twenty dollar box and I need a fifty dollar box of candy. And the man said, son, why do you need three boxes of candy? And he said, oh, I have a date tonight with a girl that could be very special. When I take her home, if she shakes my hand, I'm going to give her the ten dollar box of candy. If she gives me a hug, I'll give her the $20 box. But if she lets me kiss her goodnight, I'm going to give her the $50 box of candy. So he bought all three, put them in his car. That night he went to pick up his date and was invited in to have supper with her family. Sitting at the table, the father said, young man, it's our custom to say grace before our meals. Would you lead our prayer? He bowed his head. And that young man prayed the most fervent, the most intense, the longest prayer you've ever heard. When he was finally through, his young date leaned over and she whispered, I had no idea that you were so spiritual. And he leaned back and whispered, and I had no idea that your daddy owns a candy store. (laughs) We've all been in moments where we really needed a big prayer. And if you have ever entered that moment with limited certainty, then you are in good company and you're going to be blessed by the story we find in Acts chapter 12. So our series is titled Unlimited because we're looking at chapters 9 through 15 in the book of Acts to discern how the church broke past certain limitations to become a global move of God. And each week I have prepared discussion questions so you can take the teaching to another level for your community group. This week I had three different people at other churches thank me for this series and for these questions because their churches are using this series for their small groups. So I hope my own church is doing the same thing and processing these questions and taking the teaching to a new level. Acts chapter 12 is... A story of intrigue, of suspense, of danger, and even, I think, of humor. So let's begin. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. This is the first one of the apostles who is martyred for the cause of Christ. When Herod saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over. Now watch how sternly he's going to guard Peter. He goes overboard. There's a reason why we'll see in a moment. He guarded him by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards. And came to the iron gate leading to the city, it opened for them by itself. Doesn't this sound like Star Wars? Just walking right past guards and doors just open. And these disciples are not the ones you're looking for. All you nerds will get that. It says, it opened by itself. They went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to the answer of the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. And when I read that story, two phrases just jumped out at me because they seemed in contrast. The first phrase, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And the second phrase, when they saw that it was Peter, they were astonished. Do you see the tension? They are earnestly asking God to do something. And totally stunned when God did it. And we've been there, haven't we? We have all prayed earnestly to an unlimited God with limited faith, with limited hope, with limited confidence. And why is that? Why do we pray limited prayers to an unlimited God? Let's explore. One reason could be that prayer is limited by memories of no answers. Notice, I did not say by memories of unanswered prayers. I hear people say sometimes, well, God just didn't answer my prayers. No prayer is too precious to God. He answers every prayer. God doesn't take a single prayer and stick it in a file and say, I'm too busy to deal with that right now. God Answers every prayer and sometimes the answer is no. Like in the case of James. You see, Herod was not a theologian. Herod was a politician and politicians care about one thing. Approval ratings. It's interesting in Acts, every time the church moves past a new barrier, persecution comes. In Acts 7, when Stephen preached that the gospel of Jesus could move past the temple, persecution came. Then in Acts 10 and 11, when Cornelius and Gentiles start getting accepted, persecution comes. And Herod finds out that when he attacks the church, his approval ratings go up. so he arrested James. And the word went out all through the city. James is in prison. They did this once before. Remember Acts five? They arrested the apostles, and God busted them out of prison. James is in prison. Everybody, come together. Let's pray for God to bust him out. And James died. And now Peter gets arrested. And the word goes out again. Everybody, get in a prayer group. Peter's in prison. And everybody went a prayer group with the memory that the last time we did this, we didn't get the answer we wanted. And you've been there. You remember times when you were asked to pray about something and you had prayed about something like that before and from your perspective it didn't do any good. You prayed and prayed that your grandfather Would get healed of cancer. But you went to his funeral. And now your friend at school says. My mom has cancer. Would you please pray for her? You prayed and prayed. That your kids could have a baby. They've wanted so badly to be pregnant. But they're not. And then your neighbor says. Would you please pray? I know you're a believer and my kids want to have a baby. We've been there. We've asked God for a better job. We've asked God for our kids to stop their rebellion. We've asked for our friends to get healed. And it feels like my prayers are just getting a busy signal in heaven. Now, intellectually, I know that God is not paralyzed by my prayers. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. I know that in the classroom. In the classroom, I know that God knows what is best even when I don't know. But when I leave the classroom and I go to my closet and I pray, I take with me the memories of all the times I prayed And I didn't get the answer I hoped for. And the fire of my prayer life is dimmed. You've been there. Another thing that limits prayer is confusion. About what to pray for. We've all face choices where we don't know what the best thing to do is. You're praying for a new job to take care of your family and you hear about a job that you can get, but you're going to have to move to another town and take your family away from the school and the church that they love. What should you do? You have a relative that you love that's near death. Do you pray for God to take them soon and quickly and painlessly? Or do you pray for God to give them more days, even though that means they might suffer? What do you do? I've had so many Christians the last few months say to me, I don't know how to pray about this election. Maybe you feel like the family in Virginia, when Mary Ann Nolan passed away, they put this obituary in the Richmond paper. Faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Mary Ann Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass it the eternal love of God. So when James went to prison, they prayed and they prayed. God bust him out just like you did earlier. You know how to do prison breaks, God. And James died. And now Peter's in prison. And the first night, Lord, get him out of prison. Second night, Lord, are you going to get him out of prison? Now it's the night right before the trial and the man is 24 hours away from his possible execution. Do you think maybe their prayers changed because they weren't sure how to pray? Maybe they started praying. Lord, please deliver him from fear if you're not going to deliver him from prison. Maybe they prayed, Lord, give him courage so he won't deny Jesus again. Maybe they started praying, Lord, would you please stop letting apostles get arrested? We've already lost one and now we're about to lose two. If you've ever not known what to pray, you're in good company. I hope that encourages you. Remember the apostle Paul? He's in prison. He writes to church in Philippi. He says, I don't know what's best. I know what I want. What I want is to depart and go be with Jesus. But it's better for you if I stay alive so that I can keep preaching. Now, if the Apostle Paul didn't always know how to pray, then there are going to be times when we don't know either. And so you have gone to your knees and the words were gone. Right. I have gone to my knees before and I just stopped and said, Lord, I've been here hundreds of times. I don't know how to say this prayer any different. I don't know what to say anymore. Now, the good news is that my lack of clarity doesn't confuse God. God is not up in heaven saying, I just have no idea what to do because they're so confused. But it can be hard to pray and believe that God sees when I can't see. You see, another thing that limits prayer is a lack of awareness of what God is up to. You see, Herod had heard about Peter's reputation for prison breaks. Yeah, but that was in some Jewish prison. Herod says, not in my place. So Herod ordered for Peter to be chained at all times to two soldiers with squadrons of soldiers at every single door. And Herod says, you ain't busting out of my place. But you see, there was one door Herod could not guard. And that was the door straight to the throne room. The church was earnestly praying for Peter. And by the way, let me give Peter a little credit. The dude was asleep. How cool is that? It is the night before the trial that will decide his life. He could be less than 24 hours from facing execution and he is sound asleep. I think that's cool. That tells me Peter wasn't full of fear. He wasn't full of worry. Peter's looking like Jesus. Remember in the Gospels when they're on a boat and in a big storm and the disciples are freaking out and Jesus is at the back of the boat snoring. How could you sleep at a time like this? Because he's the Prince of Peace. And outer circumstances don't disturb his inner calm. And Peter is starting to look like Jesus. The dude is so sound asleep that when the angel and the light show up, the angel has to slap Peter to get him to wake up. And all of a sudden, man, angels appearing and chains dropping and doors just opening. But realize that Peter's prayer group did not realize any of this. They're back praying for God to do something, not realizing what God was already doing. I bet in your life there's been a time where you could look back from the benefit of hindsight and you could see how God was working out an answer but at the time you couldn't see anything at all I remember when my wife and I started to uh, pray about adoption and every night together we would pray Lord we want a baby Lord we want a baby we didn't know Michael had already been born We didn't know that for eight weeks while we're praying for a baby, Morgan was in foster care waiting for us. We didn't know that the answer we were asking for was already here. I'm going to lay something on you to encourage you. You ready? There's usually considerable lag time between what God is up to. And our realization of it. That was good. You need to write that down. There is usually considerable lag time between what God is doing and our awareness of it. We're blind to the activity of God. And we go and we join a community that's equally blind. And sometimes our mutual blindness can lead to mutual discouragement. Because maybe what limits prayer more than anything is a lack of expectations in the church. We have low expectations of others. Did you notice... It was easier for God to get Peter out of prison than it was to get Peter in the church. He showed up at church. The young girl goes to the door, recognizes his voice. She gets so excited. She goes back into prayer group and screams, Peter's here. And they respond, be quiet, girl. We're praying for the dude. Because, you see, skepticism is not just a condition unbelievers suffer from. Have you ever thought that there may have been a time where you discouraged somebody else's prayer and you didn't even know you did it? They told you about a miracle they needed. They told you about a dream they had. And the way you responded actually discouraged their prayer. When I was a young preacher, I did something one time at a church called a gospel meeting. All of you under 40 can Google it. It's where a church would have a preacher come in and preach every night of a week at that church. And one night I preached on that awesome story at the end of John chapter 4, where Jesus is in one town and a father comes from a different town. And says to Jesus, my boy is back in the town I came from and he's sick. Would you please come home with me to heal him? And Jesus said, you just go home. Your boy's okay. And he was. And my takeaway was, some of you have situations right now where it feels like Jesus is a long way away, but he's not. He knows exactly what's going on at your house. So ask Jesus for a miracle. And when my sermon was over... An older preacher came up to me and shook his finger and said, you don't believe in miracles. You believe in providence. And I was confused. He said, here's what I mean. We don't believe that God supernaturally intervenes anymore. He did in the past, but that stopped. God has providentially ordained some things to happen and some things not to happen. But he doesn't intervene anymore With miracles. And I said to him. Then why do we pray? And he said. Because the Bible tells us to. In other words. I pray. To show God. I can be obedient to a command that makes no difference. And some of you. Grew up in a church like that. Maybe they never said it quite that bluntly. But some of you grew up in a church. That taught you stories of how active God was in the past. And sang songs. About the second coming and how active God's going to be in the future. But nobody ever gave a testimony. Of what God was doing right now if you grew up in that church, you probably have a limited prayer life. And you need to hear me say this morning that God's name is not I was. God's name is I am. And the reason we have those miracle stories in the Bible are not to teach us what God used to do, but to tell us what God can do. I believe there are some deliverances that the church has not claimed that God would have given us. But we never ask for things to be done on earth like they are in heaven. But the good news is, God will be active even when our prayer life isn't. Because here's the big takeaway today. God is not limited. By limited prayers. He is still in the delivery business. So even when we think we know what we want, God knows what we need. God knows when and how it is best to do what He knows is best. And His ability to deliver is not limited by our limited understanding. By our limited requests, by our limited vision, by our limited faith. God is not limited by our limited prayers. He takes our prayers and He takes them off limits. Let me give you some examples. Did you know in the last 1300 years, there was only recorded one significant Christian movement in the Muslim world. By movement, I define that as over a thousand baptisms or one hundred churches planted. For thirteen hundred years, there was only one time in history where there was that kind of incursion of Christian movement into the Muslim world. Did you know that in the last fifteen years, there have been sixty-nine. Movements of the Christian faith into the Muslim world. You say, what's causing that? You ready? Radical Islamic terrorism. The very thing we've been praying against, the very thing that we rightly detest and are horrified by, God is using to bring faith to the Muslim world. Did you know that over 90% of the people affected by Muslim terrorism are Muslims? Eighty six percent of Muslims in the world have never met one Christian because Christians won't go to their world. And so God is bringing Muslims to our world. They're flooding out of their countries by the hundreds of thousands. They're going to Athens. They're going to France. They're going to North Africa and they're meeting Christians. They're telling stories of having dreams and visions about Jesus And they're coming to faith in record numbers. And many are going back to their countries with the gospel. Because God was about something we couldn't see. He wasn't limited by our limited prayers. And so last year we sent the Irwins to France to learn the language of French so they could go to Burkina Faso in West Africa and join a mission team. Well, guess what? The mission team fell apart. The door closed. We've got the Irwins in France learning French thinking, what's that about? Have we just wasted that time and that money? Do you want to guess what language these Muslim people coming into France and Athens and especially North Africa are speaking? French. Without even knowing it. God was using us to prepare that family to step right into the middle of the greatest opportunity for Muslim outreach history has ever seen. Do you know why? Because God is not limited by our limited prayers. I heard about a father walking down the hall and he sees a little girl. She's on her knees by her bed saying the alphabet. He says, honey, what are you doing? She said, daddy, I'm saying my prayers. Well, honey, it sounds like you're saying the alphabet. I know because I didn't know what to ask God for. So I'm just giving him all the letters and he can do whatever he wants. (laughs) And that's how prayer works. Romans chapter 8 really ministers to me. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Some of you have autocorrect on your smartphone. Now sometimes it doesn't work right. My wife sent me a text last week and I'm sure she meant to say, you are so studly, but I got, you are so stupid. So, <laughs> autocorrect can mess up. But the Holy Spirit is the Christian's autocorrect for prayer and he never messes up. The Holy Spirit takes your prayer, your limited prayer, your, I'm not sure how to pray prayer, my, I'm tired of this prayer, prayer, your, I don't know what to do prayer. He takes it. And he says, God, this is what they said. But this is what they meant. And if they had your unlimited vision, they would have asked for this. Because the Holy Spirit looks into your heart and discerns. Do you really want God's will? And he'll take your prayer. And he'll give it to the Father in harmony with the Father's will. Because we don't pray to let God know what we want. We pray so that God can help us learn what he wants. That's why the devil is trying to limit your prayer life. That's why when... You have something on your heart and you start to pray and you hear this little voice whisper, what good is it going to do? The devil is trying to limit your prayer because he knows he cannot stop an army that advances on her knees. So you ought to go home and read the rest of the chapter. Herod thinks he's in charge. He goes and gives a speech, takes way too much credit. God strikes him with worms and he dies. But the church just keeps on going on. It says, verse 24, Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread. And there were many new believers. And so I want us to take this teaching to the street. I want us to do something with it. So I've got a couple of challenges for you. The first, we've got harvest season coming up. We've got missionaries and church plants all over the world that we're going to bless with our offering. Let's start praying about it. In fact, here's what I've asked our team to do. To put together a website, just like we did with Million Chapters a couple of years ago. Let's put together a website and let's chart our hours. This is the year of the 3,000. Between now and four weeks and Harvest Weekend, as a church, let's pray 3,000 hours for our missionaries. Now, some of you are thinking, I've never prayed a whole hour in my life. I'm going to help you. Go to the website. We've got a prayer guide we've created. You can pick one up at the Welcome Center or it's on the website. Go to the website. Look at the names and the faces and the places of all the missionaries. And I promise you that hour will go by like that. And we'll record and we'll pray for thousands of hours. It's going to encourage our missionaries so much. But there's something else I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to resurrect that prayer you've given up on. So next week in every service... During our time of worship, the elders are going to be out the room. And I'm going to ask you to go to your elders and say, here's my prayer. I'm having trouble praying. Would you pray with me? We're just going to take our heart's request to God. We're going to ask God to show us what he wants. Because the best prayer of all is this one. Lord, may my desire for your will be unlimited. I had the privilege last uh, summer to go to England. I was in London. I went to the Churchill War Rooms because I've always been fascinated by the story of World War II. You know that England was in the war with Germany two years before our country joined it. And they were tough years. In 1939, the British government had millions of posters printed to put all over the country to boost morale that said your courage Your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. And then the Luftwaffe started dropping bombs and devastating the land. Many died. The government sent out a different poster. Freedom is in peril. Defend it with all your might. And the British government ordered a third poster to be made. Two and a half million copies. They were saving it. For the darkest hour, if Germany actually invaded, then all over the nation they were going to put up this poster. Well, they never did. In fact, the posters got lost. They were lost for over 60 years. Not too long ago, they were discovered. It was a simple message with a crown at the top. You probably have seen it. Keep calm. Carry on. We live in a world that's increasingly hostile to the cause of Christ. On top of that, life's hard. And you've got your own challenges. And I get it. Sometimes it's just hard to pray. Sometimes it feels like Herod's winning. But that's not who we are. We're the people that don't give up. We're the people that can go to sleep when it seems the darkest. We keep calm. And we just keep talking to God. Because Herod doesn't get the last word. And the prayer from the heart that wants what God wants. Well, the the potential of that prayer is unlimited. Bow your heads, please. I want you to start the prayer. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to resurrect that prayer that's hard for you to pray. That prayer you've given up on. That prayer you don't know how to word. And I want you just to present it to God. Say, here it is, God. Here's the prayer I'm struggling to pray. Just give it to God. Because God knows what's best. And the Holy Spirit can take that prayer and do something that someday you will look back and see. So, God, we're asking right now that you take our broken prayers, our limited words, our inadequate faith. You take our prayers, God. And you make Jesus look good. You lift up Jesus, God, with our prayers. Please, for His sake. Amen.